The Budget Briefing, in association with EY Ireland. Ireland has been able to essentially place a bet on itself that it will continue to perform better than the many commentators expected. That whole climate package worries me. I thought it was pathetic, to be honest, and it totally flew in the face of what he said about the planet burning. Businesses will say now their biggest challenge is talent, and that was the case pre-pandemic. That'll definitely be the case, I think, in the years ahead. Hello and welcome to The Budget Briefing, your guide to Budget 2022 with me, Sorka Corcoran, and in association with EY Ireland. Well, after much speculation, leaks and spinning, the budget is finally out. And I'm joined by a panel of economists and experts to help sift through the detail and find out what money went where and how businesses will be affected or boosted by the government's plans. I'm delighted to be joined once more by Jim Power, economist and co-host of The Other Hand podcast, plus Kevin McLaughlin, partner and head of tax EY Ireland, and Neil Gibson, chief economist EY Ireland. You're all very welcome to the show. And if we could start, first of all, Jim, with an overview of the budget yesterday and your key takeaways from it. The budget package circle was £4.7 and that had been highlighted in the July summer economic statement. At that stage, he said the package was going to be 4.7 billion, and that's exactly what was delivered yesterday. 4.2 billion of that was expenditure measures. Um, a lot of those had to do with demographics and the implications of demographic change, aging population, and so on. Um, and there was about 1.4 billion in new expenditure measures. And on the expenditure side, uh, there really was a scattergun approach. A lot of money was thrown at a lot of different things. Um, and the recipients of that money uh, will wake up this morning feeling very, very modestly better off, but nobody will wake up feeling significantly better off. So very much a scattergun approach, something for everybody in the audience on the expenditure side. Uh, and then the package of taxation measures uh, was a net reduction of 500 million in taxation. And that included 230 million in tax raising measures, uh, mainly the carbon tax increase 750 um, on the tonne of carbon and the increase of 50 cent in 20 cigarettes. But all of the, the other tax measures were basically honed in on a widening of the tax bans and allowances. So no surprises, as I say, a scattergun approach tried to hit a number of key areas. There was a lot of talk about housing. There was a lot of talk about health. There was a lot of talk about climate change and um, quite a bit of talk also about the corporation tax piece. And the one thing I would say is that looking at the five-year projections for corporation tax receipts. Last year, we collected 11.8 billion. This year, they're projecting 13.8 billion. And by 2025, they're projecting over 15 billion. So what they are suggesting is a belief within the Department of Finance that the tax deal that was done at OECD level, that still has a lot of uh, water to flow on the bridge before we see exactly what it's going to look like, but they don't believe that that is going to have a significant impact on the absolute level of corporation tax we collect. 
Okay, and on, on that tax point, Kevin, um, I mean, what did you make of the budget in terms of tax cuts and, and just your insight as well on the corporation tax having gone up or going up to 15%? Yeah, I think as, as Jim has kind of pointed out, really um, uh, tax was, was a small part of this in overall terms. I think at 500 million, it was probably just around 10% of the total package. Um, I think that there is a fairly significant widening of the, the bans at a personal, uh, at an income tax level, which again, has probably wouldn't be one of the more significant widenings of those bans in recent years. I think the piece that it, it gets a little bit lost at times is when you do look at the pluses and the minuses. So, so out of that, effectively, people will essentially have to fund increases in carbon tax on, on fuel, on heating. And, and again, what didn't get mentioned yesterday, Today, but which was announced during the summer was again increases in local property tax effectively because of a rebasing of the valuation. So I'd say if you took that into account on a net net basis, actually tax probably neutral in overall terms from the budget yesterday. I think, but I think it was always going to be the way. I think yesterday wasn't necessarily going to be about taxation per se. I think in terms of the the international tax um, commentary, and I think the minister spent quite a bit of time in his speech talking about the events of last week, and very much I think talking about the significance, I think, from an Ireland Inc. perspective of two, uh, two particular points. One is the ability to keep the 12.5% tax rate for, for, I would say, the vast majority of Indigenous businesses, um, and then to, 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 to basically agree a situation where we would sign up to 15%, but, but have the ability to stick at 15% and not be in a situation where that rate could be raised by others, if you like, without Ireland's without Ireland's input. So I think he would have seen both of those as very significant. I think the projections are interesting, and because I think within that, I think there there are these so-called two pillars to this international tax reform agenda at the moment, and in one of them, I think the government estimates that you know, this Department of Finances estimates estimate that you know potential lost revenue from one of those changes might be in the order of one and a half to two billion. Obviously, the increase in rate, you'd simplistically assume, will increase revenue. So, yeah. <laughs> so, maybe, so, so maybe those projections and the kind of positive growth, if you like, in those projections reflect that anticipated loss of one of the pillars and, and perhaps some gains from the increase in, in rate on the yeah. other. And one of the figures that stuck out for me, Neil, was the £50,000, €50,000, excuse me, debt that account like that each one of us um has 50,000 uh, euro debt and um, so I think it's important to kind of I, I know Pascal Donahue was keen to to really get across the big picture uh, when he was being asked about you know the five euro increase in pensions and talking about individual people's reactions he was keen to keep going on about the big picture and and the debt side of things I mean did he do enough there? I mean, did you think he take he took the right approach in terms of a sustainable path for our public finances? Yes, it was a fascinating speech in many ways in that it was almost tonally different to what you would have expected in a budget. The, the sort of implicit message was that we're almost um, uh, doing the wrong thing by saying, well, I I personally be any better or worse off. There are bigger questions at stake here. You know, the, 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 the world is burning. Um, we have climate change. We have a housing crisis. So it's really, there are societal and planetary or environmental questions that need addressing. And therefore, 
you know, that there was a very much a downplaying of here's a little bit for this individual or this group or that area or that place. That was always no no individual place was mentioned, for example. Um, Ireland's GDP numbers, very unreliable figure that they are, but nevertheless, fastest growing on that measure last year and this year. He didn't even mention that. Now, put put those figures in the hands of almost any other country. And whether they were reliable or not, you would have got a little bit of sort of self-aggrandizing about how wonderful we're doing. So the tone there was very much, there are big questions to deal with. That 50,000 euros was in there to just remind people that the big macro picture is challenging. And that was really to give a little bit of permission almost that the improvement in the public finances, which let's be clear, almost every macroeconomic indicator, jobs, deficit, is better than both the department and forecasters like myself had predicted. You know, the last time Ireland came out of a global crisis, um, it wasn't even in a position to write its own budgets. So the fact that you have anything to to manoeuvre with is um, uh, something to be pleased about uh, in any case. But what I really thought stood out to me was that messaging around, look, we have some very significant challenges to face into, mentioned price rises, mentioned cost of living increases. So therefore, this extra leeway we had in the public finances, we have not done anything extra with that. No more giveaways. We haven't poured that money back into anything. And to be honest, I think that was the right call. It will please the uh, fiscal council and, and many economists who say, look, you've got to be careful how much money you pour in when the economy is enjoying a sharp recovery. But more importantly, from my perspective, it gives a little bit of, of ammunition for future budgets when perhaps the challenge is a bit diff- more difficult. I mean, one of the things I think is a huge contrast is to look at budgets elsewhere in the world. Almost every other economy has had much in the UK, very prime example, national insurance and the corporation tax with rise that's going to be greater than Ireland's increase. So most other economies, Germany, US, are already having to make more urgent tax decisions to repair the public finances. Ireland has been able to essentially place a bet on itself that it will continue to perform better than the many commentators expect that's feasible. And it's done so, so far, but that was the bet in it. So I, what I took away from this budget was it was beginning to change the narrative to the budget is about Ireland Inc. or the world around us, not just can I look in the ready reckoner and see whether I have two, four, six, ten euros more or less. Now, we'll never fully come away from that, of course. Um, but I think that was an interesting tonal message. It felt more like a state of the nation type address almost than a, than a budget with the sort of theatre and pantomime you normally expect with one of those. So I thought that was probably the most interesting thing. Important thing about that 50,000 euros is um, that, that's a big number. It certainly is. Uh, there are other countries that, that have that have numbers of that scale. Not many, I have to say, and bigger than the equivalent figure in the UK, for example. But the key question is, are you adding to that debt? And again, the, the messaging there was Ireland will grow fast enough to make that debt affordable. But he signaled the potential risk that rising interest rates could put on that servicing of the debt. So important number, but it was in that tonal message of there are bigger issues at stake than just um, uh, individual circumstances. And that's why if you look at the wording, housing and climate took up you know, the vast amount of real estate on the in the speech. Yeah, and, and let's go further with that um, climate question, uh, Jim. I mean, you felt the climate package was minimal and disappointing. Yeah, can, can, can I just say, before I answer that question, if I might just uh, go back to something Neil was saying there. I mean, to me, uh, the message was very clear in the budget is that the state in this country is going to get increasingly bigger 
if you look at the expenditure projections out over the next five years, there is no attempt being made to roll back on the spending that occurred as a result of COVID. So the improvement in the public finances is not going to be delivered by any attempt to control public spending. Instead, it's going to depend on GDP growth, bringing the debt to GDP ratio down. And secondly, continuous growth in tax revenues. And if you look at the tax revenue projections out over the next five years, you know, they're going to grow to about 80 billion. That's the expectation. So I, I mean, I kind of disagree with Neil on, on that one. I, I think that was very much the focus. This is just the state spending money and the, the, the role, the, the, the incredibly strong role the state has attained over the last 18 months is set to continue into the future. So I, I think that's the reality. Um, he mentioned, you know, the climate burning or flaming, whatever word he used. Um, well, if that is the case, and I think we all accept that is the case, why in the name of God was the package of measures so pathetic? I mean, the, the climate part of this, in my view, uh, was pretty abysmal. And I'm amazed that with the leader of the Green Party in a prominent position in government, that the climate package was not significantly greater. You know, if you look at Ireland has a commitment by 2030 to reduce emissions by 51% from 2018 levels. That is an incredibly ambitious target. And in fact, we heard John Fitzgerald from the Climate Advisory Council was reported in media at the weekend as saying that this target was too aggressive. It'd be, it'd be better being spread out. But, the, but we have, that target is now built into the Irish law. Okay, so it's, we, we have to try and achieve it. There was nothing in the budget yesterday that would push us in that direction because transport is going to be a key part of the delivery. And the changes that were made to the VRT treatment of cars, et cetera, will do very little to push the electrification of the fleet because all they're trying to do is stop people from buying the higher emission cars, but they're not putting alternatives in place. Yeah. So yeah, that, 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 yeah. That, that whole climate package worries me. I thought it was pathetic, to be honest, and it totally flew in the face of what he said about the planet burning. Yeah, and Kevin, just on that, I mean, the big headline uh, phrase was cost of living and, you know, the carbon tax going up, a lot of reaction would have been, look, you know, the carbon ta tax is going up. That's the main measure to tackle climate change, but we don't have the alternatives to, to switch to. So really what you're dealing with is another area where the cost of living is going up. And inflation, we're talking about what, 3.7% is the latest figure. What are your thoughts on, on that, the matching the cost of living with these climate change and uh, changes that we need? Yeah, I, I've no doubt that um, uh, because, again, you know, the, the, the plan for carbon taxes over the course of the next uh, nine years is set. I mean, that was essentially kind of implemented last year. So we'll be up to 100 euro per tonne. Uh, by 2030 that's already in law so so this kind of series of increases is already there and i've no doubt that part of the the kind of rationale i suspect for some of the increases on the welfare side and and things like let's say the widening of the bands and the kind of modest enough increases in tax credits were, were probably designed to to make those increases if you like uh, that little bit more affordable um you know in 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 the sense of putting more money in people's pockets. But um, I, I think like Jim, I'd say that, you know, there, there were very little on the tax side other than a statement that said, it seemed to suggest that carbon tax is effectively the most 
the most influential way in which you can reduce emissions. Um, and really, other than that, there was nothing in particular. Say, you know, adjusting the VRT rates is is really kind of you know, in terms of buying new cars, there's no real increase. There's no stick, if you like, in terms of using fuel or, or the polluter pays principle, which I suppose has kind of driven a lot of the policy in this regard in the UK, um, and some kind of quite targeted measures around, you know, accelerated capital allowances, which is basically the ability to write off the full cost of certain investments in year one. So so it all, it, it seems from fiscally at the moment, everything hinges on the ability of carbon tax to drive, to drive changes in behaviour. But, and I think part of the challenge here too is that, and Neil and I talked about this a little bit yesterday in our own deliberations, is that the budget is kind of now just one of a series of, of, of policy announcements that happen during the course of the year. So, or there the climate action plan earlier this year the national development plan the budget today carbon budget in a couple of weeks time so so in a way it's actually quite difficult to glean the full picture or a very concise and complete picture around you know what our plan is around uh, you know reducing those emissions by 2030 because we're getting pieces of the jigsaw as we go but it's quite difficult then to actually pull it all together into one coherent um, story yeah, and I suppose, could we say the same too, uh, Neil, regarding housing? I mean, one of the things the opposition jumped on was there, there was nothing in the budget for renters. And they also were highly critical of this new land zone tax idea. I mean, what, what are your views on, on the budget and how it addressed the housing crisis? Yes, it was, uh, um, I think, um, in the deliberations we had as a partner group yesterday, uh, Jim's view was very much echoed by our team, which was the, you know, the, the ball was on the penalty spot with some of the statements about climate, but but, but the, the, there was no one, to, no one to kick it after that. It didn't really follow through on housing, again, took up a huge amount of real estate in the speech, but actually, will that really address the fundamental challenge, which remains a mismatch of demand and supply, just simply not enough volume and hasn't been for some period of time? very little sense. I mean, I think many people recognize the, the direction of travel in terms of trying to encourage development of sites. It's a good one, but we've seen the efforts in, that, in the past not deliver quite what was required. I actually think it was interesting that, you know, that housing and, and climate, as I say, took up the bulk of the, the, the words he said. Health, actually, as a word, was only mentioned twice. If you compare that to a UK budget, health would be the word that was mentioned almost exclusively. And it shows you where the political battleground is in Ireland, which is very much housing as the top question at the moment. One thing I would say on housing, of course, is that it is not um, uh, an easy solve, no matter what ideas are out there. This is something Ireland's wrestled with for a very long time. It has got some history in this space, which adds a little bit of nervousness and anxiety and certainly as an economist the current trajectory of house prices is incredibly worrying in Ireland for me in terms of that cost of living competitiveness being able to attract people and let's be honest the pandemic has made the free movement of labour around the world at least a little bit more challenging perhaps only in the short term but maybe for a little bit longer people's attitudes to staying close to family to friends a little bit and Ireland has a model that relies very much on a flow of talented labour coming in and to do that, it has to have not just the housing. I mean, one of my points I always make about housing is when we talk about increasing the housing supply, it has to go hand in hand with the delivery of the services that go with it. So education, healthcare, And so there's a huge cost of that extra population that's absolutely required given our aging demographics. 
But I didn't see anything in the budget yesterday that was a sort of radical change to the housing market that would suggest that that's going to, to change radically. And I would say that, you know, if you put me on the spot and said, you know, economists naturally are worried all the time. Uh, but the number one worry for me remains rising prices. And they've got away from us before in Ireland. There's the possibility that we're on a much more aggressive price cycle than actually some commentators have expected. And what it did like in the speech was the recognition that some of these prices may be here to stay. And if you looked at previous commentary said summer, it was very much inflation is just a one-off. It's a temporary thing, a small step up. We'll be back to normal next, next year. There's an important line in the speech, which I would fully concur with. There are some underlying pressures here that now mean rising prices, competitiveness of a location, housing costs are going to be a feature of the next 20, 12 to 24 months. And I don't think this is going to be the last we're going to hear on the housing front. There's a lot, as Kevin said, there's a lot of other publications now coming along and new announcements, but there was not enough again yesterday to do anything significant about the problem that's there. It was rather more the optics of saying housing and climate are our two real challenges. Maybe, maybe the public finance has bought another year before the toughest of questions come. Maybe if being generous, but that certainly was the theme. Look, we're teeing up the scale of the challenge, but you couldn't say that the measures then said they're sufficiently great that we have to do something radical. Yeah, and also um, there was mention of over 400,000 jobs being created in the next two years. Now, the, it ties in with the housing question. It ties in with the corporation tax rate going up. Um, you know, Ireland's attractiveness as a location. We, we, there's talk about the great resignation, you know, that 40, I think around 40% of people in the survey said they're looking at moving jobs. You know, it's all very well saying 400,000 jobs, but Kevin, what kind of jobs are they? You know, like, is this just something again that the government is saying to, to I suppose, please us? Yeah, I mean, I think it is. It's a really interesting one because I think there's parts of the economy that have never stopped over the course of the last couple of years that have continued to actually grow very strongly, particularly technology and, and life sciences, and and they've been sectors that have had always huge demand for for talent, and that that demand hasn't changed in the last couple of years. If anything, probably got a bit exacerbated. There's, I, I think, there's definitely more. Uh, I suppose as the economy fully opens in the months ahead, you'd expect there to be a more of a let's call it a return to employment in those sectors, a return to, to let's say, pre-pandemic levels of employment in those sectors. But uh, but I think that the challenge, if you, if you ask businesses now, you know, those who, let's say, you know, weren't, I suppose, part of that final wave of reopening, most businesses will say now their biggest challenge is talent. And that was the case pre-pandemic. That'll definitely be the case, I think, in the years ahead. It was acknowledged yesterday as one of the factors that was probably helping to drive inflation and certainly that records with what we would see you know from from our own clients and ourselves um, but I think that the the solutions to that are, are are almost as intractable as housing you know I mean because I think as Neil says I think you know fundamentally kind of our growth in employment has has been driven by our ability to obviously develop our own you know kind of talent uh, plus tap into a broad labor pool in the, in the European Union. COVID has obviously put, put the brakes on that a little bit, um, particularly in terms of inbound migration. But yet the economy is roaring back into life, uh, you know, creating lots of opportunities for people. So there's no there's no shortage of employment opportunities. I think there is a shortage of talent, um, you know, and, and that's the piece that this is really struggling at right now. 
Yeah. And um, in terms of that, Jim, I mean, the supports then for businesses, the, the we call it WIS, isn't it? The wage subsidy scheme has been extended to April. In terms of, of um, you had said before, you didn't want any measures that would punish businesses. Um, in, what, what is your take on, on that side of things? How well this budget seems to support businesses coming out of the pandemic? Yeah, well, my overall assessment would be that there, there wasn't anything really in the budget that would hurt business, okay? Um, but at, and at the margin, we got some business supports. Um, I think the extension and the gradual tapering down of the employee, employer wage support scheme um, makes sense because the danger was that we got this cliff edge that all of that support suddenly ended because there are a lot of businesses out there, particularly SME businesses in sectors of the economy like hospitality, non-essential retail, personal services, who have been subject to serious restrictions over the last 18 months. They have built up a debt legacy that will haunt them for some time to come. So I think it was essential that those businesses continue to get support. Um, and the detail remains to be seen as to how exactly what the criteria will be for the continuation of the receipt of the EWSS. Okay, but that definitely uh, would be welcomed by business. The second issue is the extension of the commercial rates waiver. Um, I also think for the same reasons that that is a positive development. So those were the two real uh, supports for small business in the budget. Uh, but in overall terms, you know, if I was an SME owner this morning, which I am, uh, there was nothing in the budget that would particularly enthuse me yesterday. As I say, uh, the size of the state is growing and the tax burden on the state is growing yep. and it can only get and worse. Neil, do you agree with that? Yes, it's been a, I mean, you know, if we try to put a sort of a positive hat on, there are job job creation numbers are running ahead of, of what any commentator would have expected. Certainly, I felt there would be more um, sticky unemployment, if you want to call it that, you know, people falling out of the labour market, not quite of the, the skills to match up to the to job vacancies. And there may still be a little bit of that to come, I think. But, but overall, the labour market shown great resilience. And actually, although this is not always what uh, many of my clients would like to hear, having to work hard to get the talent you need isn't the worst thing to have in an economy or a society. You, know, you have to be an employer with the right um, you know, reward, the right conditions, the right culture, the right way of working. So when you're having to work hard to get the best people, that's not the worst thing, I think. I think we think of, you know, if we think of our own, you know, in my case, you think of your children, you think, well, you want them to have a choice of good employment options. And that, so in, in one sense, the fact that we have to have a real hard, you know, it's hard yards for business to get the best people. I don't actually think as a society for Ireland Inc., I think that's actually a fairly decent outcome. And as Jim mentioned, though there was not very much in it, if we stepped outside and thought, what have we just lived through? What have the public finances undergone? What do we see in, in the UK and Germany and the US? And, and we've got a bit of time before um, maybe some of those more urgent corrections of the finances come. So we should maybe be grateful there wasn't much, as Jim says, to make us feel a bit worse. I think Jim makes a very real point. It's something I've said for a long time is that we're in an era now, though, globally almost, but certainly in Ireland and the UK, where tax is coming to meet the spending, not the other way around. Now, that we may believe 
health, education, lots of reasons why we think that's a journey um, that we need to increase the tax pot. But you have to be very, very confident that every euro of that's being spent as well as it can. And one of the big challenges, looking at the National Development Plan, refresh, published again, one of the big questions over the next few years will be ensuring that value for money for the taxpayer. If their financial circumstances get more challenging due to rising prices, they're going to you're going to see a lot more scrutiny over public spending to say, am I getting the outcomes for this that, that my taxes are, are going towards? So I would be sending that signal to the government that they can't take it as read, that it'll be always the case that the tax um, pot can be increased to meet the spending. I think we're going to enter an era in which there'll be a little bit more scrutiny of that spending. In particular, are we getting the education or the health outcomes that that spending is worth. So I think in summary, Jim's right. We were almost fortunate that we didn't have anything to make the situation worse for business because that's the case for many other parts of the world. But actually, I think that balancing of the books gets a little bit tougher when we look down the line. Absolutely. Yeah, if, if I may intervene there, Sorka, to, to totally agree with what Neil was saying there in a sense that there, there is way too much political focus on the quantity of money we spend on public services. Uh, and that was a key part of the speech yesterday. I mean, I lost the will to live during the expenditure speech. There was so much being thrown out, so many figures being thrown out there. Um, I, I would love to see a lot more focus on the quality of that spend. And um, I think the case study we should all look at really is the health service over the last 15 years. Uh, if you throw more and more resources into something, the danger is you actually reinforce the inefficiencies. Unless there is reform in the manner in which public services are delivered, we will just spend all this money and will we be better off five years down the road? It's an open question. And, and lastly, to yourself, Kevin, I mean, the, the government will need buy-in from the, the general public on this. And as Neil said, you know, we're going to be looking more closely about how money is spent what are your final thoughts then on, on looking ahead from this budget? Yeah, I think probably to, to, give, to put a bit of a tax lens, probably on what both Neil and Jim have talked about. Um, like, I think, you know, there's unquestionably a, a clear statement that the buoyancy in revenues is driven by a return to employment and, and kind of increases in income tax off the back of that. There's undoubtedly a big part of it as well is related to increases in consumer spending, which probably stopped to a, to a large degree during the pandemic. And that has driven very high receipts in the indirect tax space. And I think there's a there's a lot to to be, I suppose, to be pleased about in the sense that you know what was projected as a two-year deficit of 34 billion very quickly actually is down to 21 billion. You know, that's a that's a fantastic achievement. Having said that, off the back of of a you know what at the moment is probably a tax total tax revenue of about 70 billion. You know, 10 billion a year is still a huge deficit. You know, it's a huge deficit in spending. And there's a, there is a, a, a basic question as to whether those two tax areas in particular can continue to grow to plug that gap. And I suppose the view there is that you'd struggle to see that. Yes, there's definitely more people. And the projections are that unemployment will drop from, from just under 10%, I think, to probably close to 
percent by the end of next year. So that undoubtedly will drive will will drive higher levels of income tax. But there's a big piece here which is fundamentally dependent on the continued strong growth in the economy. Um, as really the, the way that the government seems to see the gap is going to get closed and that and that is the that's the gamble here i guess and it's it's the piece that for the moment at least is staving off what other countries as neil says have done which is effectively to already increase levels of taxation uh, straight away Great stuff. Listen, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we've run out of time, but thank you, Jim, Neil and Kevin, so much for your insights and your opinions. And uh, hopefully we can look forward with optimism now from here. Thanks very much. So that's it for this episode and for this year's series of the budget briefing in association with EY Ireland. I hope you found it helpful and I want to thank my guests once again. Jim, Kevin and Neil for their invaluable insights and opinions. I'm Sorka Corcoran and thanks for listening. The Budget Briefing in association with EY Ireland.